You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guests. Welcome to season one. Sorry for the interruption, but this podcast is brought to you by Footy International. Footy International is a forward-thinking, sustainable apparel company based in Austin, Texas, that creates socks geared for worldwide adventures. The co-founders engineered these socks from plastic bottles to optimize comfort, durability, and sustainability, all with an entirely USA-made supply chain. With specifically added technology like antimicrobial treatment and rib sole knitting, you can wear these everywhere you explore every day. And socks are just a start for this company. Keep an eye out for their new product releases coming soon. Save the planet and your feet today by using code UPTOTHEMIC10 for 10% off site-wide at footyinternational.com. Welcome back, everyone. My next guest has been a cash game pro poker player for the last 13 years based out of Las Vegas, Nevada and San Diego, California. His business savvy, poker skills and mantra of embracing the grind and the lessons that come with it has helped him to amass a following of over 50,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. Today, I get to sit down to discuss all things poker, lifestyle and business with this awesome guest. Please welcome Johnny Moreno, a.k.a. Johnny Vibes. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. <laughs> I uh, Just to kind of preface and give everybody a little heads up, this interview came about very quickly, and I'm really excited about it. Um, typically on my end, it takes some back and forth trying to get these interviews going, and Johnny was so just calm and very um, willing to accept the interview for me. It was like, hey, let's get it knocked out today if you're cool with it, and so... Here we are a few hours later from meeting. Um, but to yeah, give, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's nice to do that kind of stuff because so often, especially poker players, I, it's just so hard to plan in advance. And I knew today I had some time. So I was like, let's get it done today. Well, okay. We're definitely going to dive into the poker because that is like the big realm of what you do. But poker wasn't always in the plans for you, right? You went and started working corporate for a while and, you know, maybe expand on the story a little bit, but your early years, you were working in corporate America. I think your brother might have been the poker player. Well, what was yeah. that dynamic like? Were you always a fan of poker or how'd that all come about? Yeah, no, definitely not. My brother uh, got me into poker, but rewinding, definitely don't have any entrepreneurship, don't have any owning your own business, being your own boss. Like none of that runs in my family. And to tell you the truth, there was not really anybody that had gone to college. Like my mom was a school bus driver when I was in middle school and my dad worked at a paint factory before he eventually became a police officer. So really blue collar. And my mom actually graduated from college when I was in, I think, ninth grade. So, uh, but it took her a long time, obviously, as you could tell, I was in ninth grade. So the path for us has always kind of been laid out as like blue collar. Perhaps if you can go to college, that's the dream and get a degree. And I started down that path and I eventually got a two-year degree after going to school for four years to get that two-year degree. Cause I was, uh, I was working uh, while I was, uh, 
in school. Uh, and I ended up going into the so- software field. Like that was back when dot-com was big. So I, I saw dot-com, that dot-com boom as like an opportunity to use like the skills that were natural to me, which were math, science, data, logic, and do something where people were making a decent amount of money, like straight out of college, like two years, two year degree for me at that time, because uh, developers were in high demand. I was able to get a job, you know, the whole package and everything with like, they dress it up real nice for you. They like it when they, you sign that dotted line, they're dressing it up real nice. Mm-hmm. I remember they said the words $50,000 per year. And I was just like, holy, this is amazing. You know, like uh, growing up the way we grew up, $50,000 a year seemed like an enormous amount of money. You know, my mom was a school bus driver, I, like our rent and our trailer was $125 a month, you know? So like, this was like a crazy number. And uh, I was over the moon to accept that offer. But, you know, like with anything, you end up in uh, in the grind of the day-to-day in the cubicle. And it was definitely fun for a while. I think my favorite thing about it was at its core, it's truly a job about solving problems. You know, you're presented a problem and there's infinite ways to solve that problem through code. And uh, I had a lot of fun with it, but it was very isolating. You know, you spend all your time in a cubicle, you work with some project managers, but for the most part, you're just like putting your head down and coding. And uh, it felt like, it felt like a, like a trap. And it felt like I wasn't overly fulfilled in that, especially because while I'm kind of an introvert at heart, I definitely like the social aspect of just being out and about and like learning from other people and the line of work that I was in, the seal, the next like sealing up was going into management. And I just, I felt like it wasn't my path. And this was around the time that my brother was playing online poker and he was kind of struggling to find his way. I kind of, I'm the oldest child, kind of always guiding him. And I was going to work, coming home and he was just on the computer. I'm like, what did you do all day? Did you fill out any job applications? Like, did you go to school today? Like, what did you do? And he's like, no, man, I was playing heads up, sit and goes. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) he's just like showing me like what he's doing and i was definitely against it at first because like i said blue collar family gambling was definitely frowned upon in all ways and i just pictured poker as just another gambling game with no real skill edge because it's just my ignorance obviously and this was around the moneymaker uh boom the the, for those that don't know there was a, a man named chris moneymaker who won the world series of poker main event in 2003 and it it set off this like boom of people really getting into poker playing poker and that was like right when my brother was 18 years old 17 years old so it was the right timing for him when he was struggling trying to find his way there was all this money coming into poker and he took a interest in it and back then you really did not need to be overly great to be profitable at poker so he was able to uh you know, make, make a decent amount of money doing it. And it kind of like cast into doubt a little bit of the path that I was going just because I was seeing how he was using his brain to set his own hours and, and make money, uh, not needing someone to pay, you know, send him a paycheck to make that money. Right. Well, I mean, it's pretty impressive one to make a living playing poker, but it's even more so impressive when you talk about kind of all the things that you do and one of the things you mentioned was how you were very like logic and almost data driven with your prior job. How did that correlate over to the poker world? Cause I know you mentioned your ignorance at first made you think that there was no real skill set behind being a poker player. How did yeah. your mindset kind of shift? And did you, I'm sure you learned 
as you got into it, that, that logical, uh, analytic driven mindset served you pretty well so far. Yeah, definitely. My, my brother was showing me that he could win employing a very simple play in position. If you're coming in raise, uh, bet if like play aggressively in position that like simple tag strategy, tight, aggressive strategy could work back in, you know, 2005, 2006 with like, with hardly any other training. So he kind of just gave me the footprint out of the gate on how to not be a losing poker player right away. So that was like something that I think that, you know, wasn't overly hard back then just because of all the money that was involved in there. And then once you have like a little bit of success, it, it you just like start like going down the rabbit hole, like, okay, can I get a little bit better? Like, where are the things that uh, I'm lacking in? And the way that you kind of did that back then was, you talked hand histories with your friends. You talked concepts, strategies, and my brother was so in the weeds on that kind of stuff that I had a great mentor, a great resource. But number one, like you're right, man. the The way that you solve data problems, computer problems, is logic, and you're just like, you're just like it's it's a creative thing, figuring out the right way to do something because there is really no right way when you're writing software. And it was the same thing with poker back then. There was no, there was no like solvers. There was no ranges. There was no like, you need to bet this sizing on this board texture when you're the pre-flop aggressor in position. Like there was none of that training around back then. Right. So the way that we did is we tracked all of our hands in a database. We, a database called hold a manager. And what we would do is what I would do is I would look at the spots. I would say, okay, how, how am I doing with ace queen in the cutoff? How many times have I raised uh, it from that position uh, over the top of a, or how many times have I three bet from that position? And how many times have I raised first in from that position? And what are my results doing those things? And then I would take that data and say like, why am I doing so poorly with ace jack off suit? And then I would like compare my ace jack off suit because I had a mountain of data now with another winning player that I was noticing on the site that was doing really well. Now, and I was like, how are they doing from the cutoff? Like, what are their numbers? Oh, they're raising 27% from here. They're three betting 8% from here. So then I just started like matching my numbers up to other people that I saw that were having success. So it was very like fumbling your way, using data to figure out the, the right quote unquote, right way to play. Well, yeah. And then from there, once you start getting all this data, then, you know, that background starts really kicking in and you're able to find the patterns. You're able to start figuring out okay, well, this is what's worked so far. And this is where I'm kind of screwing up and making some adjustments as you go. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure as anybody will note, if anybody's ever played poker, I am what you would very much so call a very casual poker player. But I have friends of mine that are very much, I don't know, seasons is the right word, but uh, I would call yourself a seasoned poker player. I would call my friends want to be professionals, um, but more Enthusiasts. so amateur than anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you mentioned how, you know, there are ups and downs in, in the game of poker and you'll learn it very quickly. So one of the things that I wanted to mention was one of those buddies of mine that I talk about, shout out to poker Vlad. Um, he actually has been one of my friends throughout college and even now into the, as we've grown older, but I remember one weekend in college specifically, he would have, he'd fly to um, Florida. He'd play at the hard rock. He won the tournament or whatever cash game he was playing in came up like six grand. And then three days later, flew to Vegas, was almost at the final table of whatever tournament he was playing in, won like 13 grand. So he's up about 20 grand in a matter of like a week. 
And as a college student who's in debt to the university and everybody else at this point, that was like a huge deal for all. We were all so stoked about it. Well, it just kind of sucks because that was one of the very, very highs that I've seen him experience in poker. And then not to talk too much down upon him because it, it, it is a roller coaster. He's gone back and forth. But, you know, after paying off some student loans and what now, it, it didn't go very far because when you get back on it, start playing poker some more, it's very easy to lose. So I, I tell that story to, to ask you and kind of pose the question to you. What are, what are some of those highest highs like? And then also like, how do you work through some of those lowest lows that you experience? Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting thought. I mean, when you first start out, it's, you know, there's no blueprint on your emotions. You have to like experience those ups and downs because intellectually, you know, okay, I'm playing cash game poker. I've looked at my stats. I'm going to win 65% of my sessions. And I'm going to lose 35%. So I should like have the wherewithal to know that like on those 35% days, that's fairly often. I just got to know that like, this is part of the game in theory, that's fine. But then when you're actually in practice and you go through those downswings and you're like, how am I so unlucky in this one spot? And your judgment starts to get clouded. Now the in theoretical 65% of the sessions you're supposed to win now you're playing at a level where you're only winning 50% of your sessions because you're becoming emotional about the game. So the ups and downs are something that you can intellectually talk about, but until you experience them, it really it's really what separates the men from the boys. And one of the best ways to make it in poker is to be more even, be more even emotionally about the ups and the downs. Because if you're emotionally really high with the ups, you're going to end up like, uh, what we call up tilt, where you're thinking that you're invincible, you're you're not playing optimally because you think you're quote unquote on a roll, or you're spending more money in your life because you feel like you can't lose. And then inevitably those downswings come and you probably should not have, you know, taken that vacation to wherever the month before, because you always think the money's going to come, come in and you just kind of, you kind of learn quickly. And if you don't learn quickly, you exit the game. That's about how it works. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, well, it seems like you've obviously done extremely well for yourself, but that's in addition to, or I guess poker is obviously the main thing that you you work in, the main source of income for you, I'm sure. Um, but I'm going to get into some of your content creation here in a little bit. One of the things I want to ask about is for some of us, like I mentioned earlier, more casual poker players, or some of us that might not even play poker at all, just people listening to this, wanting to learn something about you and your story. Maybe describe the pressure of sitting at one of those tables when you're in a big moment. Because is there anything that it's comparable to for the average person? Well, if you ever if you ever played sports and you've been at a free throw line and uh, have the entire gymnasium watching you, and you know that you're supposed to make this 65% of the time, um, then the pressure's on. Like let's say it's a close game, there are spots in poker where you think you know the right answer, but you're not entirely sure. And you're going to go with it. And sometimes like, let's say it's a bluff for in a big spot. When you put those ships in and the other person's thinking about it, you're for sure going to emotionally feel this. And if they end up folding, then it's going to, it's going to feel great. It's going to like, feel like you sink the free throw shot. But if you, and if they end up calling, you're going to be second guessing yourself. You're going to say, was that in fact a good bluff? Uh, you know, you know, it's really tough 
to know in poker because often the results aren't actually an accurate reflection of the process. It is over a long period of time, but in those single moments, it's not necessarily reflective of like how you prepared or, or if you made the right decision. So that's the other thing about poker is like before, especially when I first started out, I would go on a downswing and like, I literally did not know if I was playing bad or if I was running bad, having like that confidence to know that you're making the right decisions. You don't really get that until you've been through it multiple times. So here I am five, 10, I'm actually 14 years deep now. Now, when I have downswings, I'm more accurately, I'm more accurately assessing like my, my play versus, uh, is it running bad or is it my, am I playing bad? Whereas at first it, you, it's not easy to do that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure the savvy comes, comes as you play more often. And it's interesting to hear you compare it to a free throw. Um, I was never any stud athlete by any means, but I definitely played sports growing up and I've never had the feeling of sitting at a final table or at any major table for that instance, but I could start to piece it together based off of the way I felt in other sports about how it might feel to be sitting there and even just kind of sweating it out for some of my friends sometimes that have made it to some of these pivotal moments, just whether it be by skill or by chance or by luck that, you know, they were able to come out on top somehow. Yeah. Those, those moments at at final tables where, you're not sure if you should go with it, if you should fold, if you should raise, if you should call those, those things will, unless you end up winning the tournament, those things will haunt you for a while because only one out of the nine people at that final table are actually going to take home the hardware. The everyone, everyone else at the table, even if you get second place and win a lot of money, you're going to be second guessing or thinking that you could have done things differently to win it. I don't know for someone like myself, if I would be second guessing any type of money I got for getting second place, but I definitely (laughs) understand what I get the premise of what you're trying to say there. Um, So I guess transitioning a little bit here, I want to get, I don't know if deep is the right word, but I'd like to ask you about this mantra that you live by embracing the grind and the lessons that come with it. What does that mean to you? And, and where does that come from? Yeah. uh, So just going back with the theme of poker, obviously the term grind has a strong connotation to poker. It's, it's, uh, we call people that play cash games. We call them grinders. We, we call the ups and the downs, the grind, you know, people in the, in corporate America also can relate to the grind, you know, waking up every day, driving in traffic to your job, putting in the work and coming home. It's, it's a grind. And so often I think that people that enter the poker space, they think of it as a way to make a lot of money quickly, easy money, quick, easy money for easy work. And my personal experience is that it has not been that, especially because I have been more of a cash game player where you put in time at the table, you really boil it down to an hourly rate. And you realize that if you're ever going to make anything of yourself playing cash game pokers, you have to embrace that grind. You're not going to just make a million dollars in one weekend. If you want to make a million dollars, it's going to be a long process over multiple years of you putting in the work, putting in the time, embracing the grind and realizing that, yeah, like there's no shortcuts. The only shortcut to success in cash game poker is embracing the grind. And the thing that I really love about it is that it just translates to anything. Like if you want to climb the corporate ladder, are you just going to skip your way to the top? No, you're going to have to grind. And and if you want to be happy in that journey, you got to embrace it. I like that a lot. And when I was reading it, kind of doing my little bit of research on you, I was 
curious to hear your thoughts about it one, but also I was kind of picking my brain and thinking about how I might be able to apply that to other aspects and other facets of life aside from playing poker. And you just kind of hit the nail on the head talking about whether that want to be climbing the corporate ladder or anything in your life. And so I guess I'll pose this question to you. In addition to what you just mentioned about your, you know, embrace the grind mantra, what advice would you have for someone that maybe is scared to take a chance on themselves, whether that be starting out in a poker career, starting out a creative career, starting out in pretty much anything that they're just kind of hesitant to do, almost a a hesitation to chase their dreams. What advice would you have for those kind of people? Yeah, I had a huge epiphany in my own life. I have always kind of chased my curiosity. Sometimes it's been scary. You know, I remember leaving my corporate job to say, okay, I'm playing poker. I always thought to myself, like, if this doesn't work out, I know how to code. Like I know how to be a software developer. I can always go back and get a job doing that. And then, you know, once I start playing poker and I, you know, make it to year one of setting my own schedule and creating my own money and being my own boss, then it gets a little bit harder to go backwards. And then once you get to year like four or whatever, I realized that like, I can never go back to the, to the way that it was. Like I, I've seen what is, what is possible on this other journey. And there has been, there have been obstacles. There's been so many obstacles in my poker career where I thought that it was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Like, for example, one of the obstacles that I had in my own poker career was I became very stagnant in the game. And I just like felt like I wasn't learning and I wasn't going to make a bunch of money. And I didn't want to go back to writing software. So I was like, let's make a change. Like these, these, these moments always involve like needing to do something, needing to adapt, needing to change in order to, to see if I can make it work. One of those things was moving to California to, to play in different games with different player pools that were softer. And then once I started, once I did that, I actually had some success. And then I started climbing the ranks in Southern California and I made it to a game where I was making over $150 an hour. And I'm like, this is the life, you know, like I'm, I'm making over $150 an hour. I get to set my own schedule. The place that I play poker actually closes at two o'clock in the morning. So I can't even play past that. I'm on a normal schedule. And I just think this is so great. Right. And then all of a sudden that game dies, they get raided by the FBI, that place shuts down. And now I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, now I am not going to be able to make the money that I was making before because the game that I was making that money in is non-existent. That led me to starting a poker channel. So like all these things that I feel like are bad or, you know, things that are difficult in my life that like require change, they lead me in this, this other direction that ends. Like, I feel like my life is so much more enriched because I have this like poker content background. I've learned about marketing. I've learned about video creation. I learned how to produce music in a way. Like I I mix my own stuff for, for music. So I have this like cool creative outlet now that I didn't have before. It's also brought me opportunities to play in bigger games. It's brought me uh, sponsorship opportunities and it only happened because quote unquote, something bad happened in my life. So that was the epiphany. So my, my advice to anyone else is anytime you hit this obstacle where it's like a, it's like a, a choice pivot moment where you're, you're like, Oh, wow, I I'm, you know, getting passed over on a promotion or I got let go from this one job. Use that as an opportunity to, 
pivot and maybe like go in a different direction because that those like obstacles and they end up like leading you in a different direction that could be so much bigger. So yeah, my number one, my number one piece of advice is to embrace change and look at change as like a, as like the catalyst that could be something for something so much bigger for yourself. Very well spoken. Now I have to ask you, since you brought it up, we've got to segue into talking about where the creative side of Johnny came from, where, where did Johnny vibes come into the picture? Where, where was the name coined at? And then also where did the creative side of you that started, you know, venturing into the, you know, poker vlogs, the uh, video content, the sound audio content, whatever it may be, you have all kinds of followers now and you make all this great content that you post almost every day. It seems like, and I'm curious for someone from your background, where did one, the passion for that come from and two, the skill set, like where, where did you learn to do all these creative, uh, creative things? Uh, well, so it's, it's just like poker. Like I didn't become good at poker in one day. It was, it was something that I saw my brother spending a lot of time with. And I had such a curiosity with it that every day there was just more baby steps, more learning, more diving through data analysis. It's the same with uh, content creation. I remember my, uh, well, first of all, my sister-in-law creates content and I was really inspired with what she was doing. Someone that lives in the household with you doing something that's creative and watching them and seeing them, them succeed is the best, you know, it rubs off on you. It's the best way to kind of be inspired. But also I, uh, I went to EDC, which is electronic Daisy carnival in, in Las Vegas so many years ago, maybe eight, nine years ago. And I remember being so inspired listening to the music presented in a different way. So there'd be like popular songs, but the DJs would make new versions of them and they would play that, play them at the festival in a way. So like nobody had ever heard these versions of these songs. And I remember being inspired, like, how do they do that? So I went home and I Googled it. Like, how do DJs make different variations of songs? And, and I was like, oh, they use programs like this Ableton. So I downloaded Ableton and I'm like, how do I mash up these two songs? Like, I like this song and I like this song. Oh, they don't sound together. Right. Oh, okay. They need to be in the same key. Like I just started like working through this. And then all of a sudden I started making mashups and I had so much fun. I would play them for my friends. And I'm like, what do you think about this mashup? And they're like, Oh my God, this is great. You know, and have it like the reward of putting something together. I would spend 30 hours on a 30 minute mashup where I would like use like 60 songs over a 30 minute time frame. had so much fun doing that. And then I felt like the evolution of that was video. I started uh, you taking a GoPro on, on vacations and GoProing our little trips and putting together like little, uh, little travel videos of just like highlights or whatever. Um, you know, how do I do a transition? And like, Oh, I noticed that when I transition this way, it looks better. And Oh, I noticed that the composition is off here. Why is the lighting? Oh, this is backlit. Okay. So when things are backlit, it washes out the, it washes out the subject, you know, like you just like fall. It's like a slippery slope. You, when you really are loving something and being passionate about something, you figure new things out about it every day. And I personally think that the number one way to sustain passion with something is to learn something new about that thing that you're passionate about all the time. The moment that you stop learning, it's the same with poker. I've had so many people tell me they're burned out with poker, but then I ask them like, when's the last time you actually studied poker or 
learned a new concept or you know did something to grow your game and they're they're like oh i haven't really done that i've just been making money and on autopilot so the moment that you stop feeling that growth feeling the new things that you're learning the second that you're just going to stop doing it and not feeling passionate about it and those so the 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 videos if you look at my first video to now it's insane like i everything about the video is just so much better now than it was four and a half years ago when I started. I could not agree more with my own little journey that I've started here. And I, you know, I'm sure yours is the same way. I actually went back when I was checking out your YouTube and I saw uh, some of those travel videos that you post. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I always knew, you know, kind of in the back of my mind that pursuing something on social media, um, not necessarily being a, an influencer per se, but just having some sort of content that I'm putting out there, whether it be YouTube videos, whether it be podcast, whether it be a blog, I always kind of had this itch in the back of my mind that, you know, maybe that was something that I was interested in. And I've started to realize to your point earlier that, you know, things get better with time and you have to constantly keep growing that even in the first season of the podcast that I'm recording right now, from episode one to now, I believe you're episode eight, things have gotten I mean, ex- I mean, just tremendously better. It, it's people have started to uh, realize it on my uh, Instagram account, and uh, friends of mine have been telling me, like, "Wow, like, man, from from the first post that you made two months ago or whenever it was to now, I mean, day and night difference." And mm-hmm. I can't. I mean, that's only a month or two. I'm hopeful that you know, in a year from now, a year or two, it's that much more growth that's able to be seen. Um, whether or not <laughs> that'll happen is yet to be seen. But that, that's what my hope is. And so I'm following in the footsteps of you in a similar light that, you know, I'm trying to get better at this craft every day. Um, I also am still, I'm an accountant by day though. So you and I both have that uh, logical brain in the back of our mind that we still work with. But uh, no, I couldn't agree more with uh, that little nugget that you had there. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that it's it's a lot of fun to be honest the moment that people start coming up to you and telling you that they watched one of your videos or listened to one of your mixes or uh give you feedback on a photo that you took like because i i also love photography like it's just like all these things when people or when somebody comes to me and says hey you've really helped my poker game or you really inspired me during a downswing to help pull myself out of it those are like extra little pieces of energy that like go to fuel me up to have me make continue to make the content because got to be honest, if I wasn't growing and my channel was stagnant, the videos weren't better than they were three years ago and people weren't giving me feedback that they were enjoying it. It's really difficult to sustain, you know, things that are a lot of work and those little extra things they just give me more energy to keep making content like this most recent video that I uploaded did better than previous videos. And I found myself like with an extra pep in my step, getting out of bed, like, Oh, something that I put together creatively was resonating with my audience. How can I like step up the game and make an even better video, create even more value for them the next time. Is that what you would say your main motivation factor is like, getting up every day in the morning, being able to be better than you were the day before and continually progressing. Is that like the main driving force for you? Or 
is there something else or someone else in your life that stands as kind of your um your rock and your motivation yeah uh so i i would say that i definitely struggle with motivation in general uh I feel like as a poker player, because we're so spoiled with the hours that we set and the lifestyle that we create, uh, success, a lot of cases breeds complacency and it's, it's almost like the enemy, like being good at something is almost the enemy of, of being great. So I I definitely struggle with like, uh, with like, I struggle with maintaining high levels of motivation. Like if you look at my YouTube channel, I probably upload once every two weeks. I, I upload Instagram content daily because it's not very like, it's not, it's not prepackaged and it's easy to just pull out a camera and talk to it. But my YouTube, like I take a lot of pride in it and once every two weeks and you know, the, the people that also make content in the similar genre as me, they upload three times a week. So they're uploading six times to my one time. And it's partially because I just love the balance that I have in my life. So I, I'm continually fighting that struggle. I do things like, uh, try not to look at my phone in the morning, or I added a, like today I've been uh, using this, um, app called awaken. It's like breath work where you, uh, you basically do like breathing exercises in the morning and it's supposed to help you like build up oxygen, take your mind out of like, uh, the future and the past and bring you to present. Cause I I've, I've tried meditation. I struggle with that. So even though I've had success in like a lot of these things, I'm still like, I'm working on a lot and definitely not where I want to be. Well, a couple of times throughout the interview, you've mentioned how it's really nice being able to set your own schedule. And so I'm curious, what does a typical, uh, it's probably anything but typical, but if you were to give your best guess, what's a typical day in the life like for you? Uh, it changes a lot. So typically I play online poker, um, usually in the mornings to wake up. Well, getting out of bed, I, lately I've just been rolling over, picking up a book. The book that I've been reading most recently is called Ego, Ego is the Enemy. I, I just roll over, start reading a chapter of that until I wake up. Then I get up, get on my phone and I have a lot of uh, messages that come through um, on Instagram and I I respond to everyone. I'm like insane with like responding to people. So I respond to my emails, Instagram DMs, and they're always like, what do you think about this hand or something about what I posted? And I, I try to give them a thoughtful response. One of the shortcuts that I actually do to respond to people, I usually will just like do a quick video message. Takes me like 20 seconds to respond rather than typing it out because typing it out will take over a minute. So it's one of the ways that I've optimized it. They love the video responses too, because it feels more personal, which it is more personal. And then I, I uh, play a little online poker, go to the gym, uh, work on like some video work. Then I usually play a little bit more online poker later in the day. And I probably play live like once a week now. Um, there's, uh, there's also something that I'm going to be starting soon. I'm going to start building up my Twitch channel, which is a live streaming platform. And one of the, one of the things I noticed with like all social media platforms, the way to build up engagement and the way to have people like it and follow is by giving them value. And the way that I've given them value on YouTube is I've talked them through poker thought process in playing poker hands. 
the way that I've given value on Instagram is mostly like hand histories as well. And just talking about, you know, some of the things that I do to optimize and then Twitch, I'm going to be sharing study sessions, like how a high level poker player studies uh, new concepts. So yeah, it's just, um, it, look, it looks different all the time, to be honest. Sometimes I live stream poker tournaments. Sometimes I will end up playing live for two days in a row. It's kind of just setting my own schedule. Well, no, I wish I had that opportunity to set my own schedule. Maybe one day I'll, I'll venture off into the world where I have a position to, you know, wake up and do what I want when I want. But for now, life's not so bad for me. I'm still getting to do the podcast, which is something I'm very thankful for because I get to interview very interesting people like you. And um, I kind of get to share the story. That's what I've been preaching to my audience here recently, that the whole goal and premise of the podcast is to share the story of people like you who deserve their story be told. And the value that I'm providing is the value that each of my guests bring to the table, whoever that may be. And so the value that you give is anything um, as far in breadth as either poker and poker strategy all the way to influence and, I guess, motivation. And despite you, what you would claim as a lack of motivation, the way that you talk about your life probably inspires some other people to follow in your footsteps and do something similar, which I'm very thankful for. But I did want to ask, I, I follow, I'm following up on it because I don't think you answered it earlier, but I want to know where the, the name Johnny Vibes came from. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> no, you're fine. So I, uh, I, picked, uh, I picked a DJ name. I, oh, okay. I, the DJ name was um, Deep V. And it was because back in the day, I was wearing these V-necks and Ronnie Barta would always call me Deep V, as in like my V-necks. Mm -hmm. So it kind of became like a part of my identity. And then when I started putting these mixes together, people started translating Deep V to Deep Vibes because like it was like musical. And then, uh, yeah, so Deep Vibes turned into Johnny vibes because people started just calling me vibes or Johnny. And then when I created my channel, I used both names that people called me in the channel, Johnny vibes. And it's funny when I created the channel, I never thought that people were going to watch the channel or that I would build a social media following. You know, I was 35 years old when I created my uh, social media uh, accounts, more or less. I had an Instagram account, but I wasn't like sharing like poker stuff on it. Um, but when I created my YouTube channel, I never thought that it would grow into something where I was considered someone that was like influencing people in a space or um, a, a channel that would be watched a ton. So now, you know, the fact that people call me Johnny Vibes and they just know me as that like alter ego, it's, it's kind of funny to me because just because like I never thought it would grow into what it has grown into. Yeah, you've built a whole... I mean, clothing line around it for the most, I mean, it's not solely based around the vibes, but I know a lot of the uh, merch that you do drop has the vibes kind of mm. uh, vibe is probably the wrong word to use here, but it's got the vibes logo on it and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. Um, I'm gonna have to cop some merch. I really like it. I was scrolling through your website earlier today, checking it out and I uh, was uh, pretty impressed. So I like it a Thanks, lot. Man. Thanks. I mean, those are little things that I enjoy too. Like even, I did my own website. I, I, some of my uh, programming background, actually, I got to use, like, I wrote the little script that sends an email um, when people, like, sign up for something on my website. It, it, like, sends them an email and says, thanks for joining the newsletter or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, 
uh, I, I still have fun doing all this stuff. Uh, I have fun editing my own videos still, you know. It seems like you have a pretty nice setup from what I can see. Um, when as soon as you join the call, I've been I've been doing. I guess let me back up a little bit. I've been doing what I can to make my podcast setup since I've been doing most of them over Zoom. Unfortunately, I've uh, been trying to make it the best I could with nicer cameras, nicer lighting, nicer mixing board. And when I have uh, some guests like yourself who are in the creative space, it's very easy to have them on a Zoom call because they hop on and they've got nicer and better equipment than I than I do. And so it works out pretty well on my end. I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> but it's um, crazy, dude. I remember the first time my first video, the audio was so bad. I was just using like the audio that's like built into the camera and I was standing six feet away from the mm-hmm. camera. I was in an echoey room. Like, as you can see, I have these little sound deadening boards in mm. my to like help with echo. I have like a nice mic now that's plugged into a mixer, a camera that blurs the background. It's like all these things. It's just one thing after another. You just like you notice like, oh, I noticed this guy on YouTube. His background is blurred out a little bit and it helps you like focus on him a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how does he do that? Oh, it's because the aperture on his camera is set to a low number. Like, how do I do that on my camera? Oh, my camera only goes down to aperture, whatever. It's like, it's crazy how you like, when you're interested in something and you're passionate about something, you just learn the most craziest little things about everything. I know audio was one thing I was not familiar with whatsoever. And so learning, honestly, just, I got the mixer and I got the mics and I got the lights and I was sitting there before my first podcast interview, trying to piece it all together. And I was so confused with the output and the input and where the chords go. And now I feel like I'm somewhat seasoned in this after quite a few interviews at this point. Um, but it was definitely a struggle at first. And one thing that, you know, you mentioned aperture and how to get the blur background and just becoming familiar with cameras. I've got a funny note on that just because of the fact that my family has had a family business, a photography studio up until I was in high school, I think. I mean, it was like 85 years running, passed down through generations. Wow. And I was never one that was extremely interested in photography while most of my family was. And now it's kind of funny that it's come full circle and I've yeah. started to get more and more into it. And I've been asking my mom more questions. My mom's a photography teacher. And so since I've been asking her questions, she is just in love with the fact that I'm coming to her with things still now that I'm 24, 25 years old and I still need help from my mom. She loves it. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> That's crazy, man. My mom watches my videos. My dad watches my videos too. It's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> Just, you know, I don't know. I, w- one of the things that I have to tried to focus on with my channel is I've tried to keep it a positive thing you know like i i want to look back at these videos and be proud of who i was as a person be proud of the fact that i was able to inspire people so i i don't really like do anything that's gonna like make people feel bad on my videos or be negative in my videos you know sometimes there's that like pressure there's that like bait because you do get some haters online and you want to respond sometimes but I've just felt better about keeping it positive on my channel. It's just, it's just so much easier for my like life. uh, Just navigating through life when I feel good about what I put out there. I like that a lot. That was a nice little thing to hear because a lot of times um, I, I have, 
been lucky to have a lot of friends support me in you know venturing off and trying to make a podcast. But I'm sure that somewhere down the line, hopefully, when I get some more followers and more subscribers and whatever it may be, that you know there will be some haters that come along, and that's totally fine. Um, that's mm-hmm. part of being in the light and putting yourself out there. Um, but hearing someone as seasoned as you discuss how you deal with it, it's very enlightening to hear, and I hope that you know I'm able to handle it as gracefully as uh, as Mr. Johnny Vibes. Well, I will say that there were a couple incidents where I didn't handle it so gracefully. So, you know, like I mentioned, I wasn't really a public figure until I was like 37 years old. Like I didn't grow up with social media and like all these people like watching my videos. It was something that happened very late in life where I was very confident about who I was as a person. So when somebody would say something to me, I'm like, Oh, actually they're wrong. Like, and I have the, I need to tell them why they're wrong. And like, that became like a pissing match of like me, my ego being like, Oh, this is why you're wrong. And this is why I'm right. And I realized that doing that or saying something that like exerted me being smarter than them or me being right never really made me feel better. Like I was never like, Ooh, I got them now. Like now they feel like shit and like, I'm feeling great. No, it was like, I didn't really feel good when I put them down or when I put them in their place. So I was like, why am I doing this when now I don't even feel good about it. And I know that they don't feel good about it because they're responding back. So it took a little going through it myself to come to the realization that Anytime somebody's like hating on me, I will just ignore it or I will playfully respond in a self-deprecating way and like a joking way. You know? Right. And it, I just found it to be so much better for myself. Yeah. Just kind of brush it off or um, joke with them to make it, you know, lighten the mood a little bit. I like that approach. And mm-hmm. One of the things that I want to end with here is a question that I ask to many of my guests that I have on the show. The only problem, and it's hard to say that it's a problem, is that you've kind of answered this question inadvertently throughout the interview. But I'll, I'll pose it to you regardless and see if there's anything else, kind of final thoughts that you'd like to mention to people, um, maybe anything that people don't know about you. But the, the question is, you know, what is the big goal? What is the plan here? What's the big picture for you? And I know... I mean, is it to make as much money as you can to live the life that you want? Is it, you know, inspiring others with the content that you put out there? Is it, you know, just what is it that motivates you or drives you or gets you out of bed in the morning? I kind of spoke on it earlier, but the the big picture for you. That's a great question. And I think that I am constantly asking myself that question. I think so often people just go on autopilot and they start having success and the subscribers start piling in. And it becomes like a job again. And they start like not liking it. And I have to remind myself, like, why did I even start playing poker in the first place? I started playing poker in the first place because I saw it as a way to have more freedom in my life, to be able to have balance, set my own schedule, travel, do the things that I really love doing, be happy, you know? And so what's the point when now I'm just playing poker 60 hours a week so that I can make the most money that I can make possible because now I've given up everything that I wanted in the first place, the freedom. So I, keep, I have to keep 
remind, reminding myself and asking myself the question, are these things that I'm doing actually making me happy? Or am I doing that because I feel like I have to do them? And constantly I'm, I'm finding like, actually, no, I really am not having fun making videos right now. So I'll take two to three months off and then I'll see a piece of content online and it'll re-inspire me. And then I'll say, okay, I want to make some videos again and I'll, I'll make some videos. So yeah, what really moves me is, and like inspires me is to constantly be in the question of what makes me happy. Because if I'm not in that question, I will know, I notice that I just start going on autopilot and doing things just because. Well, Johnny, I I just want to thank you for being here, man. I'm not going to take any more of your time. You have been a phenomenal guest and I really do appreciate you being so willing to work with me. I was one of those Instagram DMs that you responded to this morning and were very willing to hop on a quick Zoom call with me and do this interview. Um, it'll help me out and help my followers out a lot more than it will help yours grow, but I really do appreciate it. It means a lot. It was awesome getting to chat with you. You're a very, um, I don't know if laid back is the right word. You're just a very relaxed individual, and it's its fun to talk to you. It never seems like a uh, the conversation was never a struggle, and I really appreciate that. So if you guys want to find Johnny, you can find him on social media at Johnny Vibes. That is at J-O-H-N-N-I-E-V-I-B-E-S or at www.johnnyvibes.com. Also, don't forget to follow the podcast. We'll be on all platforms at up to the mic underscore pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. I'm like an addict. Do I gotta have it? I ain't even playing, got a really bad habit.